What's up? My name is Dwayne Jones. I'm an artist and the designer and the founder of a lifestyle brand called Art Pays Me. And this is the Art Pays Me podcast. I love talking to creative people about their business, their successes, their challenges, and how they make the world a better place with their work. Let's get into it. All right. So welcome to Art Pays Me. Today we have Kristen and actually Mike. Do you prefer Michael or do you prefer Mike? Uh, I'm pretty easy going. So whatever you want to call me, I'll take it, Dwayne. Okay. <laughs> so that we gives got you a Chris- lot of choices, really. What's that? I say that really gives you a lot of choices if you can call them anything. anything. So <laughs> you might want to think about this. <laughs> At the tone for the interview. <laughs> you can make right. up a name for me right now if you want. <laughs> <laughs> so we got Kristen Harrington and Mike Ryan. So we were just talking before we started recording. I haven't done a ton of multi-person interviews, but like it, it's becoming a thing. So I think you're the third couple that I've done. So that's okay. interesting. Uh, and it's it's cool that you kind of get to like have that shared interest. So I guess I'll start it out by asking, what is it that you actually do? Well, separately, we have our own creative discipline. So I'm primarily a painter uh, and I I do some furniture design and clothing design. And Mike is a singer songwriter. I'll let you talk about your background. I am a musician. I play with a band called the town heroes. We've been playing for about a dozen years and I play under a solo project, just under my own name, Michael S. Ryan. And I got a little studio here in our place. I do a lot of recording at, so I'm fully into the music scene in multiple different avenues. Cool. And so, together, I guess together we... Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. We, uh, <laughs> That's why we're here. Yeah, together <laughs> we recently have written a book together. And it's obviously co-authored by the two of us, kind of alternates chapters back and forth. And it's been a little over 18 months in the works now. Our first collaboration that we did together, Mike wrote a full-length album under his solo name, so Michael S. Ryan. And for each of the songs on that album, I did a corresponding painting. So that was our first introduction to formally collaborating we'll say I mean we're together and bouncing ideas off each other often uh so it was good sort of segue into working together and getting into that rhythm before embarking on the adventure of writing a book which neither one of us have done so it was a different kind of collaborating in that we weren't coming at it from our own expertise we were learning everything along the way at the same time uh but we kind of had some practice I guess with the with the first project right yeah, the actually the premise of your book sounds hilarious. So, like, um, what motivated you to make this book? And like, t- can you tell us a bit about like what it's about? Yeah, we were traveling. Uh, we were in LA, and it was the night before we were about to leave. And we've we've traveled quite a few places together. We've been to Thailand, Costa Rica, to Europe, and just around Canada and we were sitting on our last night of travel and we uh we didn't 
necessarily want to go home, but you know, you miss your bed and that. But we we were sitting out in the Venice Pier, and it's very opposite than the Santa Monica Pier, where there's a lot of activity and the Ferris wheel and all the entertainment you can imagine. We were sitting out there, and we were the only people around. We kind of had it all to ourselves, and we were bouncing ideas back and forth about how we can make art our entire lives and both of us have written quite a bit in the past and we were just talking about all our ideas or all our travel adventures together and it kind of morphed into uh let's write a book (laughs) about all these ideas and all these things that have happened so yeah we I was just going to see if you were going that to was take a, that over. That was my segue, <laughs> yeah. was it? We'll, we'll get in our didn't, rhythm. Didn't, didn't catch it, though. <laughs> well, the book, the book itself is a collection of travel stories, but they're really the, the more untold stories, we'll say. So these aren't the things that you're finding people post about, posting about on Instagram or bragging about to their friends. You know, yeah. this is an amazing thing we did today. It's quite the opposite. They're all the stories of the gritty parts of travel that people don't really talk about. So there's a number of mishaps and it's still adventurous. It's still lighthearted. It's meant to be funny and kind of poking fun at ourselves. And the Self-deprecating situations. for yeah. sure. The situations we found ourselves in that we thought might make for a more interesting twist on a travel book. And it was written throughout the isolation of the pandemic. So we were kind of locked in at home like everyone else and yeah missing traveling so it personally was a way to sort of cope with not being able to so much as walk in your neighborhood park at one point in the last year and a half uh to just feed that energy you know missing being exposed to new other cultures and people and food and music and all the things that really fuel us creatively we were recalling these stories and felt like let's put this to paper and uh kind of reveal all of these hilarious things that have happened to us over the last 10 years and we ended up with a book yeah and a, a lot of travel books out there are kind of like look at how awesome this trip is or look how cool I am to be doing this <laughs> but we kind of went in the opposite direction and obviously <laughs> we're fortunate and privileged to be able to travel to different places but again we were trying to highlight kind of things that wouldn't necessarily make it in the average book about travel and some of them don't make ourselves look too great but uh, (laughs) not in that we're bad people way like the opposite like we're we're just uh, in situations that most people would keep to themselves but we decided to write it in a book to tell the world about. No you know I've I've done quite a bit of traveling too and there's always something that goes wrong that you just like oh man and then that show banged up abroad is is pretty entertaining so it it kind of gives me like a a comedic version of of that in some ways so yeah it's reliable that something will go wrong so we we actually like to think about it in that it appeals to people who enjoy traveling because they can relate but it also appeals to the people who are like i'm never leaving my living room because i'm safe and comfortable here and it gives them reason for that yeah it confirms their uh their pre-existing beliefs about not wanting to travel i don't want to get 
I don't want to get the shits at an elephant reserve in Thailand and not have anywhere to go. So. <laughs> Just as an example. Yeah. yeah. Maybe that's in the book. Maybe, Maybe that's not. a story. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, that's, a, that's hilarious. Uh, so um, collab, speaking of collabs, uh, Kristen and I, we collabed on a T-shirt um, recently. It, it, uh, it's been one of my more popular things and it was actually fun and, and easy and actually Mike, you shot the the photos yeah. that we did for that, so it was it was a a family affair. So that was cool. Um, collaboration, yeah, yeah. Like it was great, Dwayne. I always I love the design community and fashion, and was so drawn to your brand and your identity and how you presented yourself. So I was super excited to do our collaboration and. I think it looks so great and have seen people wearing them around that I kind of admire. So you feel really cool to see them wearing your art. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's always like, it's always cool. And, and then I actually, I went to this um, art event, art event the other day and um, I mentioned your name and people were like, Oh, Kristen, I love Kristen. Uh, oh, that's nice. <laughs> That's awesome. good to hear. Thanks, buddy. You could be yeah. making that up, but I still you know, feel warm inside. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and you're actually, I, I didn't go, you're currently based in Nova Scotia. Did you both grow up here? Yeah, we're not in uh, the Halifax area where we live right now. We're okay. both from small towns. I'm from Cape Breton Island originally. Kristen's from a place no one's ever heard of called. <laughs> oh, drum roll. I grew up in a little farming community called Clarence, and I just describe it to people where there's more cows than people, which is a true <laughs> statement. And uh, But we like to think that these small town beginnings kind of make us who we are. It's, it's given us more drive uh, and work ethic. I shouldn't say more. It's just contributed to how we approach our work uh for better or for worse I think we both grew up in like super hard-working families so we actually have a hard time just kind of relaxing and taking some breathing room and we've talked about ironically the only time that we really truly decompress is when we're traveling so that made this book all the more relevant during this time where we were home during the pandemic and Mike, especially just like you pounded out what three albums in a year and a half. Put out, put out three albums. Uh, really? The book will be coming out and we're just finishing up the audio book too. So we're, we're pretty excited to obviously get the book out, market it, do some live readings and that, but afterwards it's going to be fun to uh, just kind of decompress just for a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. to kind of let our brains reconfigure and come back to some level of normality. Just when you have that much uh, creative output, your just brain is just firing all the time, trying to come up with these ideas and, how to make them the best they possibly can be. And obviously it's not like working in a mine or something where you're pounding your body uh, day after day, but it is a tiring thing. I don't, I don't want to seem like I'm complaining about it. I, I love that I have the opportunity to do it, but it, it can, it's pretty draining on you when you just go that hard for a while. Sure. So it's, uh, it's going to be nice to kind of just, get get this last thing out get our book out and just see where it takes us and maybe we won't get a break and that's fine because that's we want to just be as busy as we can with 
with all our creative projects. But I guess the it's always just such a reward to actually see the the final product and see it come to fruition. So that's kind of just an energizing thing in itself. So mm. after the last two years of working on this book, just getting it out is kind of an, an energizing thing to us as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I, I'm guilty of is the excitement of releasing a project. And then I'm like, ah, it's done. But then you forget like all the other stuff that you're supposed to do after the fact. The, Marketing. The <laughs> it's a whole other job. <laughs> and I think, I, I love that you raised this point because it's something I feel isn't completely appreciated or understood by people who aren't in the arts world. Because, and, and maybe we're at fault for that to some extent because we're, showcasing the end result often we're not inviting people into the process always and maybe it's not that exciting but when you think about like as a painter even sourcing materials like spending the energy to go out and buy the things that you need and keep your studio clean and uh photo photographing and marketing and communicating and promoting like all of that factors into the work and the product in the end but it's not always understood the labor uh, and maybe you could say that for anybody's job, but uh, I know that you, you get that. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, we have a habit of making it look like magic kind of, and people just see the end product and we're like, yeah, but, but actually there's like work and thinking and all kinds of stuff that goes into it. And then it's like, yeah, okay. So now we put it out. How do we get other people to actually see it and care about it? and yeah i care about it i think that uh marketing is probably the most important thing almost in in artistic endeavors because you could create the greatest piece of art in the history of the universe but if no one sees it, it doesn't matter yeah or it, it's not mm. going to get philosophically out there. it matters yeah, but yeah. i hear what you're saying <laughs> yeah but i especially in the music world like if you don't have a push on to for for different ways for your music to get out there whether it's campaigns through social media or just music videos live live performances if you just record a song and just hope good things are going to happen it just it just doesn't it just can't and unless you're like whatever prince or someone like that just kind of defies all a, a natural ability but uh i think just for 99 percent of of artists probably in general like it's it's really hard to just have people find you you have to do something to to make it happen yeah but even then in those type of situations like a prince or someone they got lucky because maybe just one of the right person saw you or and then they're able to to put you to someone else and then now you're in front of a a large audience and you didn't have to do that work but that's literally just relying on luck and yeah yeah. everyone has that luxury um do you work with other musicians like as an audio engineer mike uh yeah yeah at my studio here i've um been recording i i started off just working on my own material and for, for my band and my solo stuff and then 
just solely over time, people are like, Hey, I'd like to work on something with you and start off with, with taking friends in and slowly expanding to just work on whatever I can here. So it's, it's a very small setup, just a, a tiny little room, but with a few good pieces of gear and some know-how, I, I feel like anyone can, can make things happen. Yeah. Yeah. The technology today kind of makes it possible to do a lot of amazing things with, with not a whole lot. So. Yeah. Just, just, well, being around music for so long, you develop a just idea of how you want or how you think songs should go and what the production side of things and, it's just uh, every, everyone has different ideas of what makes a song best and what, what's the best thing to do at a certain point in a song. But that's when when other people are starting to come to me to produce things. And that obviously shows that there's some trust that they have in me. And that that's a, a rewarding thing just to have people want to work with me because, that yeah, that shows they have faith in what I'm, what I'm doing. Right, right. So Kristen, um, with your process in painting, um, how would you describe that? I'm an abstract artist. So a a few different titles are attached to the style I do. Fluid art or impressionist art uh, or expressionist art have all been sort of interchangeable or I've had other people describe it that way. Mm. I I also work a full-time job. So my creation is limited to evenings and weekends, usually weekends. So what I find challenging, I mean, at the time, sure, but I'm relying on myself to be creative in a very small window. So you're hoping that you have the energy and the proper state of mind and that there isn't something else on the go. Like the stars sort of have to align to even find myself in that space, much less produce something that feels, you know, really lovely. Uh, the work I do is very intuitive. So because it's not realism, I'm not, say, looking at a subject and recreating that. So it's very much about how the piece feels. And that's why it's important uh, at how I feel. So if I'm drained and exhausted or distracted or whatever the case might be, I fear that that will be reflected in the artwork. So I, I do my best to create the ideal environment, knowing that okay, like this weekend's my chance. So I really want to make the setting nice. I, I have lots of snacks and Jennifer Aniston Aniston shows, like things that are comforting (laughs) to me around to put myself in the right mood to make something. Right. So how, how important is color selection when you're painting? Uh, that, it's funny that you ask that because that too really feeds into the mood that I'm in. If I'm making something just for myself, my color, my palette selection is very reflective of how I'm feeling that day. Uh, I actually created a piece last weekend, like purposefully because I was having a really great day. I was feeling really energized and really good. And I actually wanted to make something to almost memorialize and look back upon this great day I was having. Uh, And the palette is sort of soft, but bright and calming. And, uh, but I am getting more into custom pieces. I'm finding, actually, I'm so grateful to be in this rhythm where it's hard to keep up with keeping an inventory on hand. 
So I've, I've started to lean more into just taking custom orders and then you're guided, of course, as to what people are looking for. And that takes some of the pressure off. You're just following those mm. instructions, yep. but also really hoping that your client likes what you've made them. So there's that balance to strike as well. Right, right. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Actually, I'm going to jump back. You, Clarence is where you say you're from? <laughs> yes, yeah, just ring the bell. I'll be super I'm like, where is that? I, I have no idea. Like, is that near the valley? Is that? Like, yeah, it's in the Annapolis Valley. So oh, okay. it would be like handy to Middleton, Bridgetown area, if that's familiar to you. Okay. Maybe not even those places are, but yeah, we're, we're really tucked in. And okay. uh, yeah, just the cows are there. It's, it's not really a community. It's just a road. And it's, it's paved it's a, it's a paved, paved road, road like a long time ago but there's yeah. no like banks in uh no, Clarence, there's so. zero infrastructure <laughs> yeah we used to trade uh my my parents traded some of our land for the next door neighbor's farmers cat pregnant cattle to live in in exchange for us uh using their spring for water so that's oh. how primitive of a community it was. I feel like I'm a pioneer just saying <laughs> that, but yeah, that's like our well went dry every summer till I was, I don't know, 11 or 12. And we'd have to haul water from my grandparents' house. And how old are you again? Yeah, the, like, I know. You think I was eight in my eighties, but it was normal to us. Like this was just kind of how <laughs> we lived. I don't know, but uh, yeah. that's, yeah. It's, it's interesting. It, uh, part of me is, it thinks it's kind of cool actually. Um, actually, but growing up in Bermuda, we had, our water is collected by rain in a tank. So running out of water was kind of regular for us too but like yeah. we didn't borrow from a neighbor we we like would have to call the water company and they deliver a truck of water or something like that but that's yeah. interesting that you could like get water from your neighbor like it's, it's, it's yeah you, you just trade a turn up or something and get a two liter bottle of water in your set wow. So. <laughs> wow. Wow. yeah so how old were you when you moved to nova scotia or to wherever you maybe moved first so I was 19 and I, I came to Halifax to go to NASCAD specifically. And um, so that was like a, an interesting time because I was you're like kind of adult, but still kind of a kid. Yeah. And um, yeah, so it, it it's it now, geez, it's been like 21 years now. Uh, been here for a while. So did you <laughs> arrive in Halifax and feel it, as though it were home like did you have that connection to the place no not no actually um it took i i had been to like toronto a bunch of times i'd been to montreal a bunch of times before coming here and i was like this is a lot different than toronto and montreal mm-hmm. but so it took it took time for me to get used to it but then once i did i was like Oh, I can see the potential here. Like, I really like it. One thing I liked, it was, it was um, warmer. It felt, um, not temperature wise, obviously, but like, <laughs> oh, <warmer. laughs> it's, it's like a small town feel, but like, you still have access to like bigger city amenities in, in some ways. Um, and I think it's probably because so many people come in from small towns to live in Halifax that you probably get a lot more of that friendly small town feel. So 
yeah, it, it, it took time, but um, I'm still here 20 years later. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're a lifer now. I'm a lifer now. I'm a lifer now. It's weird, though. I still don't feel like a Nova Scotian in some ways. I still feel like a Bermudian. Like it's, it, and but my accent's almost gone. Um, so I'm like in this weird hybrid, like alien spot where I'm just, mm. I'm just me. Like, mm-hmm. so. that's not a bad thing. Yeah, like I it, love that. You still have your your roots where you you grew up, and that that would probably always feel like home to you. I imagine. Yeah. But there'll yeah there'll always be a part of you that is is there and if you stay in Halifax forever, I'm sure that will continue to grow. And again, us, like I, I still, when I reference where I'm from, I always say Cape Breton still just, I still have that association with it, even though I haven't lived there in about the same amount of time, like almost 20 years, I guess. Mm -hmm. So, but it's still, there's still a connection to it. that I guess you can't really change after you experience 18 or 19 years in a place is just because especially during those developmental years just becomes a part of you for better or for worse I guess yeah and that yeah you say that like and I honestly feel like I became a better person after moving here yeah. because there were certain cultural experiences that I had in Bermuda that I would not have been able to get had I grown up here and then vice versa when I came here I mm-hmm. got exposed to different things I was like I would have never experienced this in Bermuda so it's um I said this before about a um someone who's from Bermuda and I, it's like it kind of feels like a superpower when you move from um one place to another like not that it's bad to stay in the one in the same place, but like anyone who's come from like even a small town to a bigger city or a bigger city to a small town or not one country to another country, there's some some experience of you've you felt what it feels like to change and have to adapt and and grow and the different challenges that come with that. So it, I think it's interesting. I think it shows you who you are because you're you're presented with this new environment that you are, you know, now this is who I am. You're, Mm -hmm. you're presenting yourself newly and there's something exciting about that too. And really being clear of who that person is and figuring it out. Yeah. Did you guys feel like you had to reinvent yourselves when you came to Halifax or did you (laughs) reinvent yourselves? I I don't think um, it was a reinventing. I would think I, I was still in the process of inventing who I was. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if it was changing completely, but when I, by the time I came to Halifax, I was um, early twenties. And at that age, you're, you're not a, a fully formed version of yourself. Like a lot of, a lot of the parts of you are probably going to be like that forever, but I, I definitely feel like over the last 15 years or so, I became more of who I truly am. And it takes just time and experiences and meeting people and just the things that you go through in life to really create who you are. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think it was a reinventing. It was more just a, a general finding, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Cool. So, uh, Michael, you're 
your solo album, Murky. Is yep. it bottom of our murky hearts? From the, from the bottoms from the bottom. of our murky hearts. Yeah. Yes. So what does that mean? Uh, I think so. The album's all like fairly personal songs, and I think anytime you're putting yourself out there, kind of exposing those those intimate truths, you're telling it from deep down in your heart. Mm. So it's a collection of songs that are from the bottom of my murky heart, and they just showcase just different things I've experienced experienced or felt or just have gone through over the, the past while. And mm. a few of them are almost 10 years old. And some of them I wrote like a month before it was released. So it's it was kind of nice to just have that freedom because I was releasing the song, a song a month for, for the year straight so the first day of the month i'd put out the new song mm. and then the week after that kristen would put out her painting to go along with the song and we did we tried to do a music video just the two of us for every song i think we got we were able to do eight because it's hard to come up with 12 music video ideas with zero budget so <laughs> but we did eight of them <laughs> we did zero zero budget or eight zero budget videos eight zero budget videos <laughs> And it feels really appealing, doesn't it, to watch uh, them? Well, we're happy with how they all turned out because the when when you're yeah. doing something without a budget, it's all 100 based on the idea, and like, yeah, you could if you get twenty five grand or whatever amount of money to shoot a music video, you can you're gonna make it look good, no no matter what, really. But if you just have what's lying around your house and maybe a trip to Value Village. So maybe I wouldn't say zero budget, maybe like $16 budget for some of them. Um, It's all idea based. So all the work beforehand is coming up with the idea and figuring out how to capture that. So one of the videos for a song called Keep On Keeping On, and the song is about perseverance and just no matter what happens in life, just kind of keep going because uh there's there's always good ahead so for that video we found a caterpillar named kyle and uh followed him around for two days so i just filmed them just just running basically so this caterpillar that we named kyle or he was born as kyle uh he uh he was just going about his day and I filmed them and I cut together this video that makes it look like he's running a race. So there's a start and a finish and there's people cheering along the, the whole way. People are action figures. Yeah. Action figures, little toys. Yeah. And yeah. So the, in the song, there were 27 guest vocalists who sang on the, the one of the choruses in the song. So we picked out 27 little characters of action figures to have in the video to cheer on Kyle. And so that's a video that has zero budget, but it's all based on the idea and trying to execute that. So, yeah, we're we're really happy with how they all turned out just because it was just a lot of fun to brainstorm about the ideas and see where it took us. Yeah, that's a lot of creativity. And I've I've seen some of the videos and the, 
you're you two have a very interesting sense of humor when it comes to this (laughs) (laughs) well yeah we've heard that before it's funny so we recently i don't know if you saw this is again super embarrassing i don't know why we do this to ourselves but a few days ago made this promo video for the book of me try so we were given this bag of apples a lot of them were rotten like this huge bag and we wrote for a walk the next day and found an old louisville slugger baseball bat that somebody was throwing away on garbage day and we're like huh let's uh, see what we can do with these things together. So we went out in the backyard and took a bunch of shots of me trying to hit these (laughs) apples and missed a bunch. And it's just so ridiculous, but we ended up piecing together this video of Mike giving this really kind of spiritual, encouraging talk and me like in slow-mo hitting these apples. And it's, it's just running with some of these ideas, but to us, it was hilarious. Like we had so yeah. much fun making it, but we also realized after the fact, some people were commenting on it, not necessarily realizing it was meant to be funny. They just thought like, <laughs> oh, like she's going to get it. And so, yeah, we have to I, be well, cautious of our humor. I love, <laughs> I love creating things with a lot of juxtaposition. So Kristen in the video, she, she played it up a little and her mouth is really wide open and she's swinging, swinging for the moon and missing pretty good. And then there's this intense voiceover, just kind of like you would hear in like a night commercial or something, just trying to be inspiring. So I, when I see stuff like that, like that's, that's kind of my jam in terms of humor, just things that don't necessarily go together. It just kind of uh, really that in the, I guess that's what we kind of gravitate towards sometimes and not everyone gets it, but I feel like (laughs) the people who do really do. Yeah. Yeah. I I definitely picked up on it. I'm a, I'm kind of a dry humor type of person. And a lot of times I'll post stuff online that appears very serious, but I'm like back in my mind, I'm laughing because it's a complete troll. I'm just trolling. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, nobody even knows, and people are taking it seriously, but I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. But really, I'm just laughing in the background, like half the time. As long as we can entertain, keep ourselves entertained. Yeah. That's exactly. all that matters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let's um let's talk about um the uh the book that um your niece Sophia is is working on so that that uh the interview series you did and and uh, Kristen and like that whole process like tell us about that yeah I would love to gush about my niece because she is just so amazing and impressive and talented she's 17 so she her name is Sophia Harrington and she lives just outside of Victoria in British Columbia and this summer she and I did a collaboration where she wrote, I guess it would be classified as a novella. It's like 24,000 words uh, or 40,000 words. I think it was 40,000. Anyways, it was a 10 chapter horror genre story that she mailed to me one chapter at a time from BC to Nova Scotia. And I'd go to the mailbox and pick them up. These chapters that uh, were typed out on this beautiful paper and they were even wax sealed. 
And she and I would do a live Instagram session every Wednesday night where I would read her writing, uh, read that chapter for the first time. It was the first time I read it with the audience. So, <clears throat> excuse me, it was kind of exciting to also not know what was going to come next. Mm. And the following week after reading that chapter, I made a painting that was inspired by that work and would reveal the painting to her and the audience the following week. So it was sort of this rolling basis of like excitement for her and I, because we each got to experience the other person's art for the first time as a bit of a surprise, but her, her level of, of writing and maturity and ability to create like a cliffhanger each time and character development and the amount of thought she put in it. I, I knew she was talented. I really didn't understand her ability to like conceptualize a project start to finish, especially at that age. Yeah. So it was just such an honor to work with her and to spend that time together with her. I felt like we kind of became friends. Uh, We're so far apart, especially not being able to visit one another for the past couple of years. It's, it's hard to stay in touch and it's hard to stay in touch with a teenager. Like they don't want to be sitting on the phone with her aunt. Yeah. Uh, So this was a great way to really bond and develop that relationship. And and now we talk all the time. So I'm just, it didn't matter to me. I didn't care if one person watched it, if one painting sold, it was never about that. And that was kind of a refreshing way to go about a project too, because so often as artists, it matters what your audience think, or it matters if you sell this because I have to pay bills or whatever the case might be. But I, I let myself be completely free from that and let it just be about my relationship with her and the experience with her and it will forever be one of my favorite collaborations. Yeah, it's a beautiful thought and beautiful process. Like, and I, I could see that genuine thing and it was inspirational for me to remember that um, not everything has to have this commercial output to it. Sometimes you just doing it for these bigger reasons. And um, actually her, her uh, godmother is one of my good friends and was always telling me, Hey, you got to check out this week. Like she was always excited to, to watch too. Um, Yeah, that's great. People. Yeah. Her family and and supportive community were so proud of her. And of course I was, but yeah, it was one of those things. And we chatted a little bit about this earlier, how when I was that age, I could only dream of having somebody in my life, not to sort of, you know, blow my own horn here, but just super dear. Yeah. It'd be cool to have somebody just to talk to about art things. Um, Instead of farming, but no, (laughs) yeah, like I, I'm the same. Like I just, I never had that kind of a role model for me. It was like that Mm -hmm. people were doing interesting, creative things. Um, I had actually an older cousin who was doing really cool art stuff, but like he did mostly like custom painting on vehicles and stuff like that. But I never, I always thought he was a super cool dude. But him and I never really talked like that yeah Um, so to to have something like that actually is powerful and and would be would be cool um yeah and and it's uh i i kind of try to do stuff like that with my daughter but then i get so distracted with all the other stuff that i'm doing that i i don't keep up with it so this is kind of like seeing that kind of was like ah reminded me to to get back on that actually (laughs) it's hard it's it's hard when you're 
an artist and relying on that to make a livelihood, you don't often have just the freedom to create something for the sake of creativity, but mm-hmm. it can be really freeing. And, and in a way, like the music videos were that for us, there was no pressure. Mm-hmm. Like we know we're not producers. Mm-hmm. So whatever the end result was, was more about the process and having fun with it. There wasn't all this pressure for it to be perfect because we knew it wouldn't be and it didn't matter. Yeah. Um, the book kindly lesser so like we want for it to be as good as possible i don't know how many rounds of editing we went through like yeah it's definitely well everything we do like we're we're not good at just doing something a little bit like we (laughs) we want to we want to go all out with everything we do and that's that's great for a lot of things so when we decided we wanted to write the book it was we I knew from the start it was going to be just tons of rounds of editing and like we just won't release it till until we're happy with it kind of thing. So mm-hmm. if we compared the first draft to the last draft, it would it would be very different. And there's so many things you learn along the way after each edit and each just round off editing each other's and that 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 was a a neat thing because we we both have different styles of writing but in editing each other's work we we had a well essentially a built-in editor with each other for our own work so Mm -hmm. after i would hand a chapter to chris and she'd hand one to me we'd read through mark it up pass it back and uh well, hope that we wouldn't offend the other too much, but uh, <laughs> that that quickly got out of the way. We just knew we just had to create the best thing possible, and sometimes we would kind of disagree on something. Like I would think, though, know, this needs to be cut out because it's not whatever advancing the plot or something. But Kristen maybe thinks that it's it's uh, just a great anecdote or something. Like, you know, we just, you just have different things uh, we might not agree on but then we had professional editors involved too and we kind of put trust in them to see what they would think about it but right we definitely learned so much ourselves in the process and feel like whenever we decide to to do it again it will it will just be we'll know what we're getting into first off Mm -hmm. and i think we can do it in a much smoother way yeah, actually, I was wondering if I should go into that because sometimes I've heard people when they're working on stuff with their partner, it could either be horrible because like too many feelings are involved and too many yeah. personal things or it just like kind of flows smoothly. Did you ever find yourselves like getting in real fights over this project? Um. I, I, I think well, I, like who's going to answer this question first well i think at the start um i think Kristen, you were more like kind of hesitant and worried about our ability to create something that would be as good as we wanted it to be mm. and and i just from be releasing a lot of albums and just being involved in a lot of creative projects that are put out to the world. I guess I just know at the end of the day, I'm just going to work on it until I'm happy with it. And in this case, I just wanted to 
reiterate with Kristen that we'll we'll just do whatever we have to 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 be happy with it, and, mm. and that that involved a lot of work with it, but I think initially just kind of driving home the fact that there's no there's no necessarily uh necessary end to where it's going to be it's going to be done when it's done and, and we'll know that but just making sure that she, i wanted to make sure that she was going to be happy with it and obviously myself too but just knowing how the creative process worked for me in the past with an album like you just you don't sign off on it until you're happy kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So that's what I felt was the big thing at the start. Just, just driving that, that home. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say that there was conflict ever really, but there were so many decisions to make that that was the challenging part of it. I'll say it wasn't so much that we disagreed. It's that you had to discuss, especially when it came time to, go into printing because you're talking about the cover and the colors and the font and the placement and all these really micro decisions, but there are dozens and dozens of them. So it was, it it got kind of tiring, you know, like coming home at the end of the day and having to really focus on making these, what seemed like minor decisions, but they all had to be made and they were all important ones. And we're still sort of in that space because of the marketing component that we talked about earlier. Again, you're, you're constantly making decisions about timing and content and to whom you're going to talk to about it. And when are we going to release this? And are you going to sponsor things? And this is work we do individually on our own businesses, but you're wanting of course, to be communicative and check in with your partner, your collaborator to make sure that we're all good with it. Um, You've collaborated with lots of people and, you know, you and I have had this experience even where you want to make sure like we're good with this brand of shirt and placement and price and all of these decisions have to be considered. So that's been a big part of the the work, uh, which isn't creative. Yeah. yeah. Dealing with that stuff was, was trickier. Yeah. It's yeah. It it, is man. Uh, it just you just I, yeah, yeah just got, you, it just triggered me like yeah <laughs> <laughs> I just started thinking about all the things um actually so that made me think uh Mike your your most recent your solo album you did a physical version I'm guessing you're doing a physical version of the book too oh yeah yeah we yeah. have um well we we decided um we do hardcover and softcover uh ebook and the audiobook we're working on wow so we have the we have our own batch of physical copies coming to us right now so they're in the mail ones that we kind of sell out of our house or whatever but there it's will be on amazon and kind of everywhere you can get books cool did you work with a publisher or are they self-published yeah, it's kind of in the middle, really. It's a it's a self publishing company who essentially used as um, someone that would connect us with the different people we needed. So they would hook us up with an editor, different types of editors for different 
different uh, parts we were at in the writing process and the uh, designer, all the mm-hmm. things. Proofreader, marketing advice. Like it's, it's really professional. We would recommend them or work with them again, I think, but it gave us autonomy and the content, but also the timing, which was more important to us. So if you work traditionally with a publisher, we were told it can take up to three years to get a book on the market. And it took us a year and a half. I mean, it wasn't cutting out to, it wasn't a fast track project by any means, but we sort of had this goal in mind of wanting to release it around this time of, of year and, and this year. And our original plan, actually, when we going back to the story of being in LA and conceptualizing what this project might be, the master plan was we'll write this book and October 2021, which is where we are now, we were going to leave on what we called the big trip, which was a six month long book tour, essentially across Canada on the train. Mike was going to play like Via Rail offers a program to musicians and travel down the Western coast and Route 66. And we had this huge plan that we were excited about. And yeah, we were, when we were in L.A., it was uh, the st- end of February of uh, 2020. Oh, so, or whatever, whatever the year would be. Right? Yeah. So Where we, are we? we got when we got back, we so we decided to write the book. We planned the big trip. Yeah. We, we actually made out a budget. Like mega we, planned. Like, oh, yeah, we had like an itinerary down, everything. And then three weeks after we were back, that's when the pandemic hit. So we, when we were down there, like it was like we knew COVID existed, but no one knew what was going to happen, obviously. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, our, our plans and that's part, we chose to self-publish to take this route because we knew we'd have control over the timeline and we really wanted to go on the big trip, although <laughs> it's not happening either, either way, but we, we, we have, we have a few, uh, we're going to at least Cape Breton and uh, the Valley. <laughs> and Clarence. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, a big tour, book tour to mm-hmm. around Nova Scotia. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. I had a, I had a big family trip planned um and same thing like february hit we thought we were still going uh and no it was not happening how have you found your work and creativity through the pandemic like have you felt okay i'm home i have time i have space i this is going to be actually a really energetic time for me or did that feel stifled for you at the beginning, it was that I was like, yeah, I don't have to commute to work anymore. This is going to be great. I'm home. But then, like, at some point, I hit like a mental health wall. And I can't even fully explain it. It was just like, my product. I, I actually I even started doing like a daily, a drawing a day project, like I was fired up, I was excited. And then I just one day, boom, done. I, I can't work anymore. My I wasn't feeling creative. I wasn't feeling energized or motivated. But I think I just eventually started crawling out of it. And um, yeah, it, but it took a while. It took took a few months, and I was disappointed in myself too because then it it compounded because I was like I I could have been more productive, and then I was mad at myself for not being more productive. Because like the last time 
I really designed a lot and did a lot painting wise and art wise. I just was 2018. So I had planned um, 2019. I kind of took a year to, to plan things out and figure things out. And 2020 was going to be producing like a maniac and it just didn't happen. So yeah, um, I learned to be more patient with myself, I guess. Uh, and um, it's coming. I'm, I'm, I think I'm back now in a good place. But uh, yeah, it was it was weird. It was, it was just hard. It's hard. Yeah, I think we've it's impacted us all at different times as well. So it's it's interesting to talk to others about what that experience has been like, especially the arts community where, yeah, creativity isn't just something where you can rely on every single day to be the same or consistent. And um, yeah, are things coming back? Like would Atlantic Fashion Week, for example, be coming up next year or those types of events? Are you still connected in with those communities? still connected i haven't heard anything but one of the things that actually the time when we put out our collab tea that was around the time when i started to feel like more energized again but one thing i i've i've kind of focused in more on is the art world than the fashion world i i think that i didn't fit quite in that fashion world i didn't feel right about it uh like working with models and doing all that stuff it was cool and that i think what made me excited in the beginning but then what i realized i'm more excited about is telling stories and if they happen to be on shirts or they happen to be on a digital thing or a painting or something else then that's kind of where i want to lean um so that's where my reinvention started to happen it's like okay where where do I want to go? Do I want to be a fashion designer? And the answer is no, I don't think I want to be a fashion designer. I just want to be an artist. And, yeah. 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 How about you? Did you feel like, was there a point where you two felt like, like I got pandemic brain, I can't do anything? Well, I, I kind of felt, uh, I, I was almost more scared of, not doing stuff and losing losing fans or losing an audience mm. just because i i know it's kind of happened to a lot of people like they just they didn't do stuff and almost just look like they vanished off the face of the earth and i was just absolutely terrified of not of, of when things came back to normal or maybe that will never happen but when things kind of turned around off being further back than when when it started so I just kind of tried to use that as my fuel and tried to be as active as I possibly could be and obviously there's times where just just you can't get you couldn't get stuff done or whatever but I think since I am I don't have another job and I'm trying to survive completely off my creations I kind of feel like I just had to do that mm-hmm. so I I was more active than I was probably before the pandemic in, in different ways. Mm-hmm. So it was, wasn't, doesn't necessarily mean that's good though, just because like I was saying earlier, it's just all that uh, creativity is, it can be draining. So yeah. it's in a, in a spot now where I don't, I don't feel like I can't create or anything, but just 
don't feel at my best creatively just because so much output has occurred and just need a, a recharge in some way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It was I it was nice for us to same as you, Dwayne, like not even not having to commute to work, at least in the mm-hmm. beginning. That was such a relief and felt energized from that and almost thrived in having I felt like I had more time finally. Like yeah. I was able to strike a bit more of a balance. And so we we did quite well mm-hmm. uh throughout. I actually find it's more now that I'm facing that mental health wall and bit of a, a a fatigue from it and it's it's less about creativity or production and more just you know feeling like we had this opportunity as a society in a world to kind of create some changes and some of that's happening but in my work world like we're back at the office every day and like it, there's just some of these things where I I'm finding some some people or organizations are so anxious to go back to. Uh, and that seems so strange to me to think that we're in a hurry to go back to this place that we were at least at some point, most of us relieved to get away from or consider what might be a better lifestyle. Um, or, you know, there were times even in Nova Scotia where we felt so communal and Nova Scotia strong and supportive of one another. And, it feels in some ways like that has transitioned into not so healthy and friendly of a place. Um, so yeah, just dealing with a little bit of, of that contrast, I think as of late more than the past couple of years. Mm, I hear that. I hear that. I I've luckily not experienced it so much directly, but I have witnessed it. And I see that like, everyone's just in a hurry, go back to normal, go back to normal. But like, we were really in an unhealthy spot before the pandemic and we just didn't necessarily realize it. Like, yes. Yeah. And, and hopefully there are enough of us that at least saw that observed that change and feel like, okay, we've proven to ourselves something and can hang on to that. Yeah. Uh, I guess you just hope that that's felt by the masses or at least our own little networks and yeah. Yeah. Cool. So, um, I don't want to hold you for too much longer, but is there anything, so you're in two kind of different creative spaces. So this question could be different for either one of you. Uh, what would you say is the most challenging thing for you as a creative person or person putting out art, putting out music? Uh, I would just say reaching the widest audience as possible. Okay. Cause I know that's, an audience exists for what I do. It's just, how do I get my sounds, my words, my creation into their hands, their ears? It's for me, like I I find just creating has never been a challenge for me just to work on a song or just be inspired. I feel like I'm inspired every day to create. But after the product is completed, just finding a home for it and finding those people who are willing to support and and just just be there as uh, you know lifelong fans or lifelong supporters and that I, I've been certainly lucky with my band. We have a small but dedicated following, and they definitely support us. But just 
I've always been trying to just take it up no matter where I get to. I always want to take it a little bit further. And especially now, like we're both hoping to be able to just be complete, completely uh, reliant on our creations Mm -hmm. to, to survive. So to get to that point where we're just living comfortably off art, I guess. Yeah. Which is a really great segue for me to answer that question (laughs) because I find most challenging is just having the confidence and trust in myself and the community that will support me. I mean, it's it's a dream to yeah. be able to just be a full-time artist, but it feels like, you know, I love what I do and I feel like I have people that like what I do and, and support that, but it's, it takes a lot of just trust to make a leap into what I imagine will feel unstable or unpredictable and that, that could be it, or it could be a dream come true if I would just let myself try. So that's what I am kind of grappling with now. I kind of have a foot in the door of both worlds. I I work this, you know, high profile corporate government gig during the day and then, you know, and making music videos with caterpillars on the weekends. Like it couldn't be, or different. So it, yeah, it feels like this leap to just put all my eggs in one basket, but I'm, I'm trying to get myself there. Yeah. I think we're in the same spot. We've got what they call golden handcuffs. Uh, okay. Yeah. Enlighten me. Tell me about this. <laughs> well, it's, it's like, you know, we're in good situations. I don't like, I consider myself, I, I, I have a good job, um, good benefits, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I should be happy, period. But the reality is I've got this other thing that this creative stuff that I just want to do. And I am selling work. I am getting clients. And hypothetically, I probably could quit my job. And if I dedicated more time to this, I'd probably be able to replicate that income. But I for some reason can't get out of those golden handcuffs where I just, I don't yeah. trust that it will happen. And maybe it's because, and this is some, some real talk, I guess, but like some months, like you make so much money, you're like, Whoa, this is incredible. And then next month you make so little money. You're like, Oh shit. That's uh, 100%. It. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly it. And I don't know what I did. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's like, I did exactly the same thing both months, but my income is so different. So that's what scares me about cutting my job. Um, Yeah, I I totally, yeah, we're speaking the same language here. It's actually comforting to hear, to talk to somebody else who can relate to that. There aren't a lot of people in my world, in my corporate world, at least, that can share the dream of creativity. Like I'm almost like the weird unicorn girl who does all these cool things on the weekends to my coworkers because it's so far removed from the day-to-day work that they know me as doing. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a total identity shift. So it, it feels scary, I, I suppose. Um, and like you're saying, you have the pension and benefits and all these things that you're told you should pursue. Mm -hmm. And once you get there, like, especially post pandemic, you would be an absolute fool to walk away from that. So there's kind of two stories I'm telling myself at all times and they're at odds with one another. Yeah. 
Yeah, but. and actually, like another thing, I I ruptured my Achilles uh, back in October last year. Yeah, so yeah. I basically was out of. I remember, you were on the news with one of those boots. Yeah, so, right. Yeah. Like I was almost out of commission for a year physically. And luckily though, my day job, I had medical benefits and all that kind of stuff. If I had to pay for that stuff out of cash, like, (laughs) I don't know, like it would have been a a harder situation. So things like that keep happening that make me think, oh, oh, oh no. Um, Yeah. So maybe it's a limiting belief. That's what people would, would tell me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think it's, I'm trying to really work on my mindset because there's also, there's also Dwayne, like just as much of a possibility of being the most successful you've ever been in your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is very much a a reality that could be in our future. Mm -hmm. So I remind myself of that outcome as well. Yes. That's what, and that's exactly where we got to stay in that positive mind frame. It can happen. It will happen. Um, Yes. Don't worry about the worst possible scenarios all the time. That's right. Exactly. (laughs) That's good advice. Yeah. So uh, where can people find you online? How do they get the book? How do they check out the music? How do they, like, all of it? Uh, When is this uh, podcast going to air? That might change our answer. (laughs) Ah, um, that's a good question. I would say most likely I do. I'm starting to publish them every two weeks now, and I have one coming out this Monday uh, and then another one in two weeks. So I would say probably end of November, maybe. Okay, that's perfect. Yeah. Uh, if you go to www.mikeandkristen.com. No, not CA, not CA. Um, yeah, we, we have a site just kind of right now before, before it would, um, air where we're just working on it. But by the time this goes, goes to print, it will be up and running and in perfect condition. Sounds good. MikeandKristen.ca is our website. We have Mike and Kristen on social media as well. Uh, I'm Kristen Harrington dot art on Instagram and Mike's Michael S. Ryan. Uh, Right. That's your handle on Instagram. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, So we've got a few things going on there. We also have some live readings coming up. So we're going to be doing an event style live reading of the book at the Carlton on December 12 oh, we'd have to yeah. look at the calendar yeah Mid- <laughs> mid-december and uh no, it's well, in november actually okay yeah i'm really just messing this one up but <laughs> we have some live stuff coming up that we'll share on our social channels and and that kind of thing so yeah, mike and kristen.ca can link you to our individual sites like we each have our own websites i have my band the town heroes too so we have lots of different things out there um but yeah it can be all be found through mikeandgristen.ca cool and i'll link to all of this stuff in the show notes and on my website so uh yeah i'll put some some of the music videos up there too um, okay. so yeah so mike and Kristen, thank you for doing our page this was fun uh and we, yeah we opened up about some stuff and it was cool yeah yeah it was man. great chatting it's it's nice to yeah relate and know that you understand the world we live in and great questions so thanks so much Dwayne. yeah great to talk Dwayne. we really appreciate it it means a lot to, to chat 
Thank you for listening to Art Pays Me. Thank you to Langy Beats for the theme music. You can find more of his music on YouTube. If you got anything out of this, please rate, review, or leave a comment on whatever platform you're listening. You can find out more about Art Pays Me at artpaysme.com, or you can hit me up on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Clubhouse. I'm at Art Pays Me on all of those platforms. With that, we're out. Peace.